welcome to the Feathered Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. Welcome to the latest Feathered Desert, and I'm going to say good morning, everyone, even if it's not good morning. This podcast is called Wake Up With The Birds. And today we're talking about bird-friendly coffee, tea, and maple syrup. And generally those are breakfast items. Myself, I eat breakfast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But hey, generally they're breakfast items. So we're waking up with the birds today. So the first thing we'll talk about is coffee. I know a lot of you are coffee drinkers. And the biggest question that I get when I suggest bird-friendly coffee to people is, what is bird-friendly coffee? And bird-friendly coffee is a shade-grown organic coffee. It's coffee that is planted and grown within an existing rainforest under the canopy of those trees rather than on land that has been cleared to grow the coffee trees. It is also organic coffee that is grown without the use of harmful chemical pesticides and fertilizers. That is our definition of bird-friendly coffee. So how does drinking bird-friendly coffee actually help our birds here in Arizona and really in the United States? Many of the songbirds that we love here in Arizona overwinter in Central and South America. So this is where the majority of coffee also comes from, is Central and South America. One of the top threats to birds is habitat loss. So full sun coffee farms actually cut down the existing rainforest to plant coffee trees which destroy the wintering habitats that our spring and summer visitors rely on, such as the Western Tanager, which is that beautiful orange and yellow bird, looks like a sunset. The Summer Tanager, which is such a lovely red bird. And then the Yellow Warbler. All three of these are migrators that hang out with us during the spring and summer and go back down south for the winter. So without the habitat down there in the rainforest in the winter, they will not be surviving. So by us buying and drinking shade-grown coffee that is certified bird-friendly by the Smithsonian Bird-Friendly Certification Process, who is the gold standard in eco-friendly organic farming, you are helping to protect the future of our songbirds, and it only costs you a few cents more than that cup of coffee that you're drinking right now, that conventional coffee that is a sun-grown coffee. And by doing that, you're helping protect the environment down in the winter habitat for these animals and giving them that chance to survive to another year to come back up here and make more babies. Now, one of the other things, the second thing that people say when they say shade-grown coffee, they're like, oh, but shade-grown coffee doesn't taste as good. So I do have a note on flavor. I will preface this by the fact that I personally do not drink coffee. I know Cheryl also does not drink coffee, but my husband is a coffee aficionado. <laughs> so for this section, I asked my husband everything that he could tell me about the taste of it. So many people do think shade-grown coffee means less flavor, but that's not true at all. Shade-grown coffee actually ripens slower than sun-grown coffee, which results in a richer, more complex flavor. So bird-friendly coffees are also 100% pure with no dilution from uncertified beans or additives that can um, take the flavor of your coffee and weaken it. So my husband specifically can attest to the great flavor of shade-grown coffee 
because in my household, we only buy from Birds and Beans, which is a Smithsonian certified bird-friendly coffee. And he is a bit of a coffee snob. And he did tell me that when we finally started buying this coffee, that it's actually some of the best coffee he's ever had. And he does like to roast, uh, not roast his own, but he likes to grind his own. So he does get beans. And from Birds and Beans specifically, you can get beans and you can get ground already. But he really does say that this is some of the best coffee he's ever brewed at home himself. And it has a very smooth, delicious flavor. Um, so the question is, how do you know if your coffee is bird friendly? You want to look for the Smithsonian bird friendly logo on the package. It's a small square with a picture of a tree and two birds flying with the words bird friendly and Smithsonian printed beneath that. And that will tell you for sure that your coffee is bird friendly. And just uh, a note on a few of the uh, good coffee companies that are Smithsonian certified, as I just spoke about, Birds and Beans is the one that we use. And uh, my husband actually drinks this one in the light, but it comes in light, medium, dark, French roast, espresso, and decaf. Wow. Yes, they offer you so many different items. You can't, there's no way you can't find something that you I like. I love the smell of coffee. Yes, I do like it when he is, when he's brewing it, but I don't like to drink it. And the fun part about birds and beans that I really like is that the names of their coffees are all birds. So he gets the light roast, which is the American Red Start light roast. <laughs> and uh, in our show notes, we'll also be posting a site that you can go to to find other uh, bird-friendly coffees. All right, so Cheryl is going to talk to you about the things that we drink. We both like to drink tea, and she's going to tell us about the tea. Yes, Kirsten. Well, there was so much I didn't know about tea, something <laughs> that I have been drinking since I was an adolescent. And I come from a coffee-drinking house. My parents consumed coffee, my brothers, my sister, they all drink coffee, drive through Starbucks. Not me. I'm, I'm into tea. So first I want to say that there is not really a, such a thing as bird-friendly tea as far as a label or something that you can find. But the term with tea is eco-friendly tea, which means that everything is of the highest quality. That was the definition that I found. Now tea is the world's most popular drink and we seem to forget that because we live in the United States and yeah. of course we go back to the Boston Tea Party and why we have coffee and <laughs> exactly but um after water with about with tea there's about 70,000 cups of tea consumed every second that's quite of a lot every of tea. day so tea is big business and I didn't realize how big it was either because yeah. I'm always thinking you know the coffee and chocolate are bigger but tea actually globally is bigger Tea plantations are generally large-scale monocultures which provide subpar habitat for, for, for birds. Uh, gen generally speaking, on, generally a, on a large speaking, Thank you. Tea plants uh, need sun, so tea cannot be grown in the shade. Now, there are shade-grown coffees, uh, shade excuse me, teas, but the shade is created with a netting that is only up for one to three weeks and I and I don't know why they would do that other than either. to say that you know it's shade grown tea yeah just to fool us uh, but tea does not have to be grown in monocultures instead tea plantations can and are including remnant patches of native vegetation that works as windbreaks 
These stretches of native vegetation protect the tea, stabilize the soil, and act as a refuge for birds. So tea plantations are moving, I'm going to cover why, but they're moving away from being those monocultural, agricultural farms. And that means they're just planting the one, the one plant, the tea plant, right. right? Monoculture. Right, the one tea plant. Okay. Now, most cultural, excuse me, commercial tea plantations are large, not in the USA, but globally, and um, because they're concerned about the stabi stability of third world countries, which is where they are, they chose to explore avenues that would help to stabilize the communities they em employed. So tea plantations on the whole are working to invest in sustainable practices in their agricultural programs with these general objectives. So they carry out bird inventories. They establish connect connectivity between the plantation and neighboring ecosystems. They identify key floral and landscape features. They identify any existing threats to biodiversity. Now these are the tea plantations that are following, that are being eco-friendly, and they're the ones that are planting the native vegetation um, every acre or two, just you know, in between where they're planting their tea. Um, they recommend ways of increasing management and the status of birds in their um, on their plantations, and they develop monitoring monitoring strategies for birds in the tea plantation zones. Now that doesn't mean that every tea plantation is imp implementing all of these objectives, but most tea plantations are working towards being sustainable into the future. And the tea industry is working to align itself with these organizations. I'm gonna go over a few of them um, and, and give you an example. So the Ethical Tea Partnership is an organization that works with tea growers to establish responsible conservation of the world's tea fields and the people working with those fields. So you could buy your tea from someone who um, meets their, their, this particular organization's criteria. Or you could buy a tea that meets the Fair Trade International. Uh, it's an organization that guarantees farm workers are paid a living wage and treated right. The Rainforest Alliance um, helps wildlife, this is a very big one, helps uh, wildlife conservation and conservation of natural resources along with safeguarding the rights and well-being of workers. The International Tea Committee, which mo any tea plantation wants to be a part of, which was established in 1933. It's a nonprofit, unbiased organization that is the definitive source of all tea statistics. So it keeps track of all the tea plantations and their productions and how they're doing and what they're doing. And I found this really interesting in my research. You can actually purchase tea that is certified elephant friendly. Now I know that that really has nothing to do with birds, but yes it does, because if you protect the habitat of an elephant, which is a large mammal, you are protecting a habitat that covers, you know, all the animals that live within the elephant's habitat, which includes birds. And this is important to teas grown in Asia. Um, it protects the Asian elephant. I didn't know. Tea is sourced from tea plantations that meet high standards for protection of elephants, habitat, and water resources, reducing human-elephant conflict and reducing barriers to elephant movement between elephant habitats. And the certified plantations eliminate 
Who knew that they did this? Eliminate electrocution risks to elephants from fencing, power lines, drainage ditches, ditches, and other hazards that may injure elephants and eliminate the risk of poisoning elephants. Now, I just want to say, I know that this is about elephants, but if we're protecting the elephant, we are protecting the habitat of all the animals that occupy, again, the elephant's habitat, and we don't want a bird electrocuted or poisoned um, any more than we would want an elephant. So this is actually very encouraging for birds in areas that these plantations are, and tea plantations are moving this way. More of them are. So look for teas that are support, supported by these organizations or have these organizations um, listed either on their boxes or at their website or they carry their symbol on the box. So it's important to use organic ingredients because organic farming greatly reduces greenhouse emissions, smaller carbon footprint, combats climate change uh, extremes, and provides habitat for wildlife. Now I only listed three, and all three of these can be found either in a health food store or a supermarket. So Yogi, and you can find this at Fry's on the on the counter there. It's one of my favorites. It hits all, checks all the boxes. It belongs to the Rainbow Alliance, which actually um, the Rainbow Alliance is an umbrella, and when you brought belong to the rainbow uh, the rainforest alliance excuse me you also belong to the fair trade or the ethical tea partnership it's like an umbrella organization that some of these other organizations can go into um, not only is the total the total product compostable the tea bag the box the little tag that comes on the tea um, but the box itself provides you with a new yoga pose, <laughs> and each tea bag has an inspirational saying. There's Bigelow, the super um, found in supermarkets. It's not always organic with its ingredients, but all teas are part of the ethical tea partnership. Like I said, you only need to belong to one to order to to check boxes that are important. And then there's the uh, Nummy or Numi actually health foods. Uh, found in health food stores, some supermarkets, um, all its teas are organic ingredients and it belongs again to the fair, fair trade um, organization, international, so it's fair trade certified. So <clears throat> I know this is like so much, your mind is just <laughs> about to burst because who knew that tea could be so interesting? And so America does have one um, domestically grown tea plantation it's called the Charleston Tea Plantation, and I mention this because one of the teas that's on my list, Bigelow, Bigelow bought it in 2003. This tea plantation's been around since 1773. It's 127 acres. Not all of its tea blends are grown on this plantation, but it's trying really hard to apply some of the things I mentioned earlier, like bird habitat and... Um, uh, mitigating uh, uh, safety for birds and organic uh, tea growing. It's trying to implement a lot of that here in the United States. And it's the only one that we have, actually. We have some smaller commercial tea gardens um, located in Alabama, Hawaii, Oregon, South Carolina, just to make sure that I've covered all my bases. Um, the reason for this is that they're small commercial, is that tea, cultivating tea is very uh, labor intensive because you have to pick the leaves and the buds by hand. 
and it also takes a tea plant five years to reach its maximum potential for the best flavor. Like I said, most large commercial tea plantations are in Africa and Asia, which is important uh, to note because that is what has driven the tea uh, plantations, the larger ones, to change the way they're doing things because Africa in particular has become a little unstable or can be unstable in um, the third world economies. And so the tea business has, like I said earlier, has moved towards uh, supporting the communities that they're in and working with um, uh, stabilizing that so that they can continue to make money and sell tea and the communities that their uh, their workers come from are stabilized. So I found it all really fascinating. I know that's a lot of information, but um, there's some really good links yes. with the podcast. That, and that's great information. And it's wonderful to know that we're helping uh, nature, our birds, as well as other human beings. Enjoying a good cup of tea. Yes. yes. My favorite is Yogi because I love the inspirational saying. All right, so now we've got our coffee and our tea all ready for breakfast. And the next thing we need is our maple syrup to go on our pancakes and our waffles and anything else you want to put your maple syrup on. Now, the maple syrup that we're talking about here is the actual true maple syrup that comes from a tree and not some of the other brands out there that use a lot of extra sugar in it. This is the stuff that comes right out of your tree. So the big question is, where does maple syrup come from? That was one of the questions I had. Um, so in the U.S., maple syrup typically comes from northeastern forests. Everyone right now who is listening to that area in Vermont is yelling, it all comes from Vermont, the best stuff is from Vermont. I cannot attest to that, but I can tell you that most of the stuff in the U.S. comes from our northeastern forests where maple trees grow well and they encounter the cold temperatures that they need to produce that sap that we use to actually make the maple syrup. So the fluctuations in temperatures are extremely important, and that happens best in our northeastern areas of the United States. So maple syrup farms are actually called sugar bushes, which I thought was so much fun. And those are monocultures, typically, which means they just grow the maple syrup trees that they need. And those are the ones that use for tapping. So generally, it's large swaths of area with just those trees. So why exactly is this a problem, that monoculture? Well, anytime only one type of plant is grown in an area, it cuts down on the health and sustainability of that crop, as well as anything that lived natively in that area. So this will also affect the native wildlife, such as our songbirds, who will not be able to find proper shelter and food in the area because they are relying on just one type of plant. So how can we help? We can buy and eat bird-friendly maple syrup. And once again, that question is, what is bird-friendly maple syrup? And it's syrup that's actually grown on diverse farms that have not only just their tapping trees, but they have multiple layers of vegetation growing in and around their maple trees. So there will be trees that they're not using for tapping. There will be shrubs. There will be smaller plants. All of this be, provides multiple layers, and that is essential habitat for birds, and it attracts various insects to feed the birds. So this also enhances the health of the sugar bush and it prolongs the life of those trees. Therefore, it also allows the farmers to produce more maple syrup because they're not worried about, oh, my tree's going to die in five years. This varied habitat that they have around it is going to actually help those maple trees live longer. So how do I know that my maple syrup is bird friendly? You want to look for the bird friendly label. 
and there is an actual bird-friendly label. So now there are many farms in Vermont where the best syrup comes from, as they're all screaming right now, um, that participate in Audubon Vermont's bird-friendly maple project. Now, some of these people aren't in Vermont, they're in the area, but that's okay. They are still participating in the Vermont's bird-friendly maple project. And this syrup you will be able to tell is marked with a label that has a scarlet tanager on it, which is a nice red bird with black wings and a maple leaf. And then the words that say produced in bird-friendly habitats. And that will be stuck right on the label of your maple syrup. And you'll be able to tell that you're getting stuff that is helping our songbirds here in our country. So after all that information that you've learned there, it'll be easy for you to choose a bird-friendly breakfast routine. It's so simple, it's so easy. And then you'll be doing your part during your breakfast time or whenever you drink your coffee, tea or maple syrup to help our songbirds survive for years to come. And we provided um, information at the, at the end of the podcast and the show notes. Yes, Make it well, even easier for you. Absolutely. We'll have that. Links so that you can buy things online and then buy them in the store. All right. So happy coffee, tea, and maple syrup drinking and have a great breakfast. Yes.